0: Good evening, and welcome to Knox Mente. Tonight's guest is author Peter Moon. Born and raised in California, Peter Moon is primarily known for his investigation of space-time projects. These concern projects in the past, present, and future that control both time and perception of time. An avid reader as a young man, he studied creative writing and literature and was particularly interested in both scientific extrapolations of science fiction as well as the high adventure that it provided. Peter went out on his own in 1983 and moved to Long Island where his unique background enabled him to forge an association with scientist Preston Nichols, one of the world's foremost experts in the world of electromagnetic phenomena, who had been involved in strange experiments at the Montauk Air Force Station on Long Island, which included the manipulation of time. Their collaboration in writing, The Montauk Project, Experiments in Time, and its subsequent sequels have now reached legendary proportions. Peter Moon, welcome to the show
1: welcome peter
2: thank you it's nice to be with you
1: i consider you kind of an icon <laughs> i don't know why i mean i feel like you've done such remarkable work in the world and have been tied to such remarkable people that it's uh it's a true honor thank you for coming on yes thank
2: you very much I have a comment about that i have began to feel this icon status particularly as Preston Nichols passed away. And, you know, there's everything that he did is now a memory. Yes. And what it is, is as I uh, move into the, the senior years, it's like everything that's been done in the past, it's like you, you know, it's, it's sort of like you become the, the painting on the wall. This is what you can feel yourself. I can feel myself becoming the painting on the wall. And it's almost, um, you know, it's like having lived a life. So it's, it's, it's kind of uh, creepy in that respect. <laughs>
0: you know what I'm saying? I totally yeah. get that. I used to call it, it's someone else's life now, because it's so far in the past, or it's, it's like a whole other life of someone else that you lived. <laughs> it's like a past life.
2: Well, exactly. So everything that happens now is, is new. And it's, 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 it's just part of what goes on in reality. And this applies to anybody's life, whether they, you know, they don't have to have a public notoriety in their life. It's just like you become, you know, you fade fade away and and life goes by. That's what time is. Yes. Mm, totally.
1: How do you, so with all that, especially with all your work with um, time travel and all of that, time equals distance and all that, how does that make you feel in this kind of the nowness? Like on an emotional level, and if that's too personal, I, I apologize. No, no. On an emotional
2: level, <laughs> it doesn't bother me. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, you know, it's like, man, when you you pass into the, the next zone, uh, I I don't have any fears of that, but it's like when you're living, you're holding up an act. Yes. It's, it's just like, um, I I like say in the early days of the Montauk investigation, I remember. There was the psychotronics group and I'd have one guy, there was one guy who was a doctor and he was always like sort of a, a doubting Thomas in certain respects about Preston. And we were at a, uh, I was with him at a, at a conference or a lecture in New York City. And some girl was asking about the Philadelphia experiment and, whatnot and he chipped right in. He started telling the whole story as if he was an enthusiastic fan. <laughs> In other words, he, he, was, he was like keeping up the front, you know, so to speak. Uh and, and that's sort of what uh you know what happens is is you you know, people put up a uh an artifice. Yeah, you know, there's there's sort of an, an illusion of what happens, what what might happen, what did happen. But but as far as like uh the artifice that I'm dealing with now is I uh, published a rather fantastic book called Transylvania Moonrise, the first chapter, which talks about an alchemical tradition, tradition, whereas youth can be maintained for thousands of years, literally. Yes, yeah. yes. It's yes. presented very cogently and coherently. And I was told that I would meet this gentleman. Uh, I haven't met him. But then again, I wasn't prepared to meet him either, so I've been dangled with the promise of physical immortality.
1: Dangled. I have, I have. This was something I specifically wanted to get into tonight, and I had I'd written notes down about that, which we'll we'll move into later. But that is uh, something deep, near and dear to my heart, and I just want to say for everyone out there, because on Zoom I can see. Peter, you look remarkably youthful. I might add. <laughs> you're,
2: I don't know what what you're I'm doing. 66. I, I'm 66. I I practice uh, qigong every day.
1: Yeah, that there's something you're doing something wrong.
2: And I still play uh, touch football at age 66.
1: Why don't you let's? Oh dang, that's full contact.
2: Yeah, well, it's it's not full contact. That's when you tackle, but we we don't tackle. We touch it, and we beat some twenty-five-year-old uh, guys the other day from St. John's Law School. We beat them every year. <laughs> we're nineteen and zero. Well,
1: that's excellent, excellent. So, tell, give us. Let's just start in here with uh, yeah, some of your. Yeah, because if
0: we don't, we're going to go balls deep into Montauk. So right away, I know, <laughs> I know.
1: And, and Jerry and I are both itching too, uh, in 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 new ways so let's start with your background a little bit of background and i'm talking about the earliest stuff you can recall that influenced you and from anything like of course dreams and your dream life and your imagination to uh your relationship with nature or not to pop culture stuff like stuff that may have been on the tv stuff that sticks out as far back as you can recall
2: well i can say that uh uh, with Preston Nichols, we both had the same favorite TV show uh, when we were young. Was the Time Tunnel? Uh, the Time Tunnel. Uh, however, I didn't. I had to watch it more in the in the summer reruns because it was always on on Friday, and I was usually at the movies on Friday night. But the Time Tunnel was by far the most fascinating show uh, to me. Um, that didn't really inspire me. It was just something I found very interesting. Uh, what inspired me to move in the direction I have was uh, moving, uh, high schools when I was in, um, uh, 15 years old. And I, I went to Davis, California, where I was really, uh, displaced, uh, you know, having been disconnected from all my friends and all the sports I was involved in. So I really couldn't do anything but read. And I remember, uh, seeing some of the kids had the, the illustrated band by Ray Bradbury, and I couldn't wait to get my hands on that book. Because they said how good it was, and I read that, and that, that inspired me. It was a story, in particular, the kaleidoscope, the second uh, story in the book, which was kind of like about immortality. Somebody who was dying, uh, an astronaut in space, and, and all he saw were these beautiful colors, and he got really high on the beautiful colors in outer space, and you know it was like immortality. And later on, I was able to meet Ray Bradbury at the Library of Congress, and oh, wow. gave a lecture. And the first thing he talked about, this is an interesting story about Ray Bradbury. He, he, he begins the story about, about immortality. He said uh, there was a man at a carnival. He was called Mr. Electrode, or Mr. Electro, and he would do all these electronic stunts. Now, this was like in the, you know, probably 1930 or so. And he took his sword, which was, I guess, electronically charged. And he put it on Ray Bradbury's forehead, and he says, live forever. <laughs> and Ray Bradbury says, so, I, so I, I will. I did, you know. Of course, Ray Bradbury has passed away, but it was like the theme he talked about was immortality. And that, was, uh, that wasn't that was my uh, forte. But, but it was like that an inspiration of reading science fiction. So I began to read the science fiction authors, uh, Arthur C. Clarke. Uh, Robert Heinlein, to a certain extent, and uh, Robert Sheckley was another one, and I became a fan of science fiction.
0: Dune? And, fan of Dune? Herbert? Uh,
2: I did read Dune. I, I was, uh, that was required reading in my science fiction class in high school. I took science fiction in high school.
0: Good, uh, good teacher.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I read that, and yeah, I, I know about Dune. I have, uh, I'm going to watch the final, what is it, the, the uncut version? Oh yeah. The yes.
0: recut version, yeah.
2: The uncut version. It's the original version that was before it was cut into what it became.
0: But yes, and but they added narration because Lynch was relying too hard too much on the actors emoting their you know what they what's going on. So in the second version, which was uncut, longer, et cetera, the director's cut, if you will, they had a lot of voiceovers for the you know what people were thinking at the time. If you watch it again, it's pretty obvious.
2: You're more of a Dune expert than (laughs) I am.
0: Just a fan. I do have a question about Ray Bradbury, though, which this is a bizarre one. Have you ever heard a rumor about what he used to call uh, milk duds?
2: (laughs) No, what did he call them? Cunts. (laughs) Why?
0: (laughs) I don't know. It was just a thing I read about him once.
2: I don't know. No, I hadn't heard that.
0: That's <laughs> so, so strange. When he was kids, he used to call him Okay. Anyway.
1: So strange. Well, I find that it's an interesting synchro with the Bradbury material, though, because if you did later, obviously, the time travel stuff became a theme.
2: Uh. Well. Yeah. Well. The the time travel. Um. Yeah. I mean, I I didn't expect to uh, meet preston nichols and hear all these wild and woolly stories um but because you said we were going to talk about dreams um there's a couple of if you want me to go in that direction of dreams i'm happy to
1: oh yeah i still want to get the early early stuff pinned down just so that we have a little more foundation so when you were a child child did you have a relationship with nature
2: Oh. The only relationship I had with nature was probably significant. I mean other than going to Yosemite, which was beautiful, <laughs> um, was fishing fishing in Southern California Ocean. Ooh, uh, I love that. Yeah, off the coast of Catalina, off off of Catalina Island and, and whatnot. So my father took me fishing. Uh, he took me to the beach. you know he taught me to surf and uh, the uh, water, the ocean was definitely a factor. But I, when I uh, was in high school, and I I began to study, you know, we, we studied. there was a lot of politics going on. And uh, it became very, for some reason, I started reading about witchcraft. And when I read about witchcraft, what I noticed, all the literature in the high school library that mentioned witchcraft, because you could go into the reader's guide, it was all so prejudiced. I never saw such prejudice, you know, as, as if they were you know, practically saying that black people had slanted foreheads, which they used to say that in Alabama. They did physiological studies and say black people didn't have as big of brains as white people. It was that bad or worse of when they mentioned the subject of witchcraft. They had no, you know, they were just like trying to shoot it in the foot. And I said, why is this? Why Why is this? There's this extreme prejudice. So I read the, a book by Sybil Lee. Oh, uh,
3: yeah,
2: yes. He mentioned Aleister Crowley. That was the first time I heard of Aleister Crowley. And I said, wow, there, there's something to this, the supernatural, that is, you know, not being uh, acknowledged and is being reacted to. So I I realized and I began to study Taoism. And when I studied Taoism, I said, man, I am so far from nature, it's not funny. I felt like divorced from nature. And of course, that's the direction I wanted to go in. But mm-hmm. it was like, it, this is like, uh, you know, the, the difference between being a a homeless beggar and 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 being uh, the, the the richest capitalist in, in in the world. You know, that's 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 what I felt like. You know, as far as nature, I felt so divorced from nature because you know we were raised on ding dongs and ho hos and, and my mm-hmm. my age and mm-hmm. all this assorted uh, candy and and stuff, and it just wasn't natural.
0: Were you sad when Hostess went out of business?
2: Uh no. <laughs> no 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 I, 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 you know, not at all poison. Uh, there's the I know about the Twinkie defense. You know, in, in San Francisco, the the guy who uh, shot Harvey Milk. He, he oh, no, yeah I yes. yeah yeah yeah. The Twinkies made him, you know, mentally unstable.
1: Yeah, there's so much, so much nastiness and all that stuff. Okay, so back in your the early early period did you so as far as dream content and all that did you have and so every question I have is definitely going to tie into dreams and that all that even stuff that relates to what you've done later on in your life uh so did you have any fears where, you know, like the typical stuff, the, the closed closet door, dark white so, stuff in the, under the bed, the dark wood, any of that stuff is uh, a I,
2: I dreamt uh, what was, it's a very funny, I would uh, dream. Uh, I didn't really have a dream. I'd wake up and see a tiger's face on the wall. It scared the hell out of me. Uh, and I would scream and my father and mother would come in and console me. Uh, you know, uh, you know, just a tiger's face. Now, it's mm-hmm. funny. The tiger was also my favorite animal. I thought it was the most beautiful animal, but somehow it would come and scare me in, in the night.
1: Oh, that's very interesting. What about, and so back at this point, were you raised religious at all?
2: No. My, my father uh, was an altar boy, and, you know, he, he rejected the priests. Uh, he he knew what they were up to. He never talked about exactly what they did, but after he died, I found out that uh, a psychic one time told me that, you know, he was, you know, betrayed by the the cloth and he he could never forgive them. And then I found out later, his brother, my uncle uh, had the same issue. And he'd tell tell my grandmother that uh, the priests are, you know, molesting me. And she'd say, no, a priest wouldn't do that.
1: Oh, oh, wow. (laughs) So, so, So
2: he he had had it with the Catholic church. He didn't, you know, fall prey to them. And he, he he thought they were full of bull. My mother was raised as a Catholic and she went along with my father. She was not passionate. She knew all the rigmarole and all the, she taught me a little bit about catechism. She even took me to church when I was four at my own request, but that was driven by the fact that they had donuts at the church. So, uh, (laughs) and, and then, uh, she never took me after I brought a Donald Duck book when I was four. You know, <laughs> they're all doing Latin, and I wanted to read my Donald Duck book, and she said, no, I'm not taking you anymore.
1: So, Donuts and Donald Duck. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, so, so that, that was, you know, that was the end of, of church uh, as a young person. So it was Catholic church, but I, I was never baptized, and I was never indoctrinated. And, and some of my friends uh, from grade school remember when I talked to them later in life, they remember me being very opinionated about Christianity and not, not in a positive direction.
0: So, what about some esoteric ideas about the Catholic Church as far as um, the baptism ritual, for instance, being some kind of uh, ward, if you will, against like blocking your third eye? That's why they put the oil right there on your forehead. You ever heard anything like that or researched anything like that? No, I
2: mean, I, uh, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know how much damage that can do to an individual. Putting a little oil—they call it the chrism, might even open up the third eye. It
0: may.
1: That's what. That's what I was thinking.
2: But, but the that's probably what it's from. But I'm saying is, you get so much religious indoctrination, and and Catholics are. I mean, I grew up with Catholics, which a lot of my friends did not. I could I could cross pollinate from group to group. Because uh, I was like one of them, although I wasn't you know uh
0: yeah, I was raised Roman Catholic, so
2: okay, but the thing is is that um Catholics aren't too judgmental uh they don't like Jews i mean there was a lot of anti you know anti you know Semitic comments and stuff. Uh, The only two friends I had initially in in kindergarten were were Jewish kids. They were, they would, because they were the only ones that would kind of talk. They were also the most intelligent, you know, a lot of the kind of, you know, very non-communicative. But uh, the, uh, yeah, the Catholics, uh, they they don't try to convince you to join their religion. That's, that's something that, you know. Yeah, that's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah. And they they don't really know too much about their religion. They don't really care too much about it. It's it's good for uh I mean they might believe in it. They might believe in it, but I'm saying they don't get fanatical about it and and they use it for their, you know, their baptisms, their christenings, their uh, marriages and their funerals. The service.
1: I've always really enjoyed Catholic. I wasn't raised anything myself. And I've always really enjoyed Catholic. People or some they've been some of the wildest people I've known uh, okay and so and then just back with the early stuff do you remember being a child that had uh, dreams often or any of that kind of stuff going on not, not that it's the specific dreams but did, were you a dreaming child
2: I wasn't uh, well, of course I had dreams but I, I remember in the, I think it was the third grade uh, Telling my friends in, in in their third grade, my schoolmates, that I said, oh man, I had this dream. I was dreaming of a cartoon and it was in Technicolor. And they all called me a liar because everybody dreamt in black and white. And the reason oh. they dreamt in black and white is because that's almost everybody had a black and white television. You know, this is 1961. And, yes. and those who had color TVs, they didn't work too well. So, um, you know, so they they thought I was lying because I dreamt in color. <laughs> well, I remember dreaming of a cartoon. It was kind of neat, uh, but yeah, I would have dreams, and and I I don't uh, necessarily remember them all uh, at that early age. But I I do. I was a dreamer, yes.
1: I find that I find that actually very significant nowadays because. I ask, it's the standard thing I ask is the dream landscape, you know, do you dream in color, black and white? And so many people are unaware that black and white was kind of a standard. It changed a lot when we started to have color TV become common for people. And there's a connection there, I find, with the programming.
2: Uh, that the people have, are black and white indoctrinated.
1: Well, that before before color TV was really a thing, that mm-hmm. that black and white dreams were actually common.
2: I, I think they were because that's that was the visual you were fed if you were a TV watcher, which most everybody was.
1: Yeah, and so I find that significant, and I'm I'm glad that you've you've brought that here. I love that you dreamed. Of a cartoon and that it was technically though. Do you remember the cartoon at all? Was it something that you had been seeing or was it like your own constructed cartoon? Uh, your it was
2: probably something along the lines of Mighty Mouse, which, you know, <laughs> was on every Saturday morning. It was yeah. I, know, I, I saw Mighty Mouse in black and white. It was something of that ilk.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That is awesome.
0: Here uh, I come to see.
1: Yes.
3: I was just thinking
0: of Andy Kaufman doing that. It was great. <laughs> i'm I'm old too
1: um all right so and then also just kind of some basic stuff you might laugh at this but do you know any of your astrological signatures like your sun and rising
2: oh yes yes i i uh i can start talking about astrology and you know astrologers will sometimes say what's that i never heard of that." Uh, because the reason for that is I have I've had a lot of uh, close friends that were astrologers, and they would teach me things. I've never, I'm not an astrologer. I can, you know, look at a chart and give you the most uh, general aspects of it. But yeah, I'm a Capricorn with Virgo rising.
1: Yeah, that rising is very important. I assume this is tropical Western tradition. Yes. Virgo rising, interesting. Uh, Okay, cool. So, so on that note, let's look at, let's look at the dream. And this is going to be interesting, I think, because of the span of your life. So if you could, if it's, if things have changed, just add that as a, a sub note, how does the architecture of the dreamscape appear to you? And if it has changed over your life, what have been some of those changes? So I, I'm i guessing from the black and white color thing. Well, but I'm look, looking for, you know, anything like sensate stuff as well, Peter. Like, do you experience taste and sound and all that stuff as well in the dreamscape?
2: I mean, I've gone through periods where I've had, uh, you know, prognostic or prognosis dreams where you, you kind of tap into the future, you tap into some occurrence, uh, you tap into the future. Yeah. And and I've also done dream work where I, um, you know, become aware in the dream, lucid dreaming. Mm -hmm. Uh, I haven't concentrated so much on smells, uh, or whatnot. And more recently, Uh, I've been very interested in my dreams about David Anderson. Like when I, I, I'd rather dream about (laughs) David than than dream about than have a lucid dream, because it's when I connect with him in the dream state, it's like very magical. And you know, there was one dream uh, where I, it was a whole, uh, you know, where he ended up in my office and, and he had all the technology of time and it was on tape and then it was gone, it was erased. And I, I was very disappointed. But I, I only later realized that I would be able to recover all that and and, and the videos I put out on time travel. So that was there. But my, I was dreaming of having lost all the tapes to it. Not that I ever had the tapes, but uh, it was a, it was a dream of the future that I would actually have those you know, figure out his, uh, his basic information.
0: So precognitive. So you want to hear something crazy. Do you remember when, before we started and I said, I had a question, I said, no, I'll wait to ask it. <laughs> it was about David Anderson.
1: <laughs> Synchronicity. Jeez. Well, and I was, you know, it's interesting as I was just listening to Peter, you, Peter, speak about that. I can't recall which one today on one of the, shows you've been on i think maybe last year so i was fascinated by that and how it came around that the information did eventually need to come out and so it did
2: indeed indeed and, and they see that's dreams are a stress point uh or or they they reveal stress points uh and they can yeah i mean they're they're timeless they're timeless And I was just reading something. I think it was in one of my own books. Uh, (laughs) But it was about, it might not have been, but it was about time. And uh, time is like, you know, it was, I think it was in one of Radu's books. Time, there's logic, and then there's time. Time is, is by, well, coincidence, you could call it, timing. Timing is a whole another factor of life, just how things fit together. Like, timing is, uh, like, say, I, I was talking to a friend yesterday in the morning about all the drudgery I was going to have to do the, yesterday, just drudge work, you know, administrative stuff, nothing fun. And I come down to the computer, and I had... Uh, the sixth book by Radu Cinemar had been delivered to me by my publisher in Romania. Wow. Changed the whole day. <laughs> it's not a dredge day. It's not a dredge day, you know. And and I said, wow, this is like, you know, start working on it. And uh so so uh timing is is an incredible thing.
1: Do you think there's some providence involved in that kind of uh lining up of of events that you just explained or is how does that work
2: yes and providence is a is a you know i think not maybe the best word but it's a higher dimension uh, which is sometimes called providence in in my psychology of space time video series i call it the 10th dimension Mm
3: -hmm.
2: based upon a mathematical mathematical model and it's, it's just like, you know, that's the totality of all. Everything is connected. But mm-hmm. when you start making the connections, that's just the expression of the divinity, which is connected to everything anyway. So what you're getting is a recognition of the connection. Just like when you, you know, see somebody on the train or somewhere that you see before, it's like, wow. Like I, I went into the grocery store, uh, a week or two ago, and I'm sitting right over this lady, and I said, you look familiar. I couldn't tell who on earth she was. I said, but you look familiar. She says, yeah, you look familiar too. Then I recognized who she was. She had on glasses, and she didn't look like she does when she's all dressed up. She she hosts a a metaphysical group that I've spoken at, that I've spoken at uh, a few times. So you know, I mean, but I recognized her even though she didn't look like who she normally looks. So you know, you see you see things in your dreams, but they're they're not necessarily located to your uh, immediate, limited to your immediate environment. They can be far in the future because we're all connected.
1: Do Do you think that Ten there times is an illusion. Mm-hmm. right? Well, and then I, you know, I love the whole thing. Is time equals distance, right? That, that whole aspect is one. Like that is one of the things I've really taken away from your work. Time equals distance, uh, and and how, and that that's kind of affected my idea of what I call checkpoints in time. But-
2: well, yes, yeah, that work that comes from uh, a book called Space Time Physics by uh, J- uh, John Archibald Wheeler. A uh, famous physicist who was one of David Anderson's colleagues, and it's, it was a, like sort of an overlooked piece of physics that, that was never really understood. And David told me when he, you know, he put it in my face and, and tutored me on that in 2009. He said, he said, there's only about four physicists in the world who understand this, really understand it. Last time I talked to him. Uh, He said there are several more that understand it now. But at that time, 2009, he said there were only four physicists that understood it. That this concept of time is distant because the dictionary won't tell you that. It
1: it is so integral in the way I view and construct the reality around my, the apparent reality around myself that I, I just, I don't know. I'm glad to have encountered it. In the way I have through through you, though. Uh, what, so is and in the dream content. Do you think it's possible? Is it possible that manipulation can happen through dreaming? So I want to reach in here on, and get in put your put your Philadelphia Montauk perspective on on the dream state and what goes on when we're dreaming
2: well the the dream state is stimulation of your visual cortex, what it is yes and and the visual cortex is is fed by perception and you know it's it's like it's like it's a filter but it it can it's just ex you can say and it's been said that the not my idea but the dream is trying to reconcile and express that which hasn't been figured out or reconciled in the mind. Like, say, if you have a problem, like you don't know how you're going to do this, or you're you're fighting some problem, it'll make you sweat. You know, you can't sleep because you're so upset about it. Well, that's a very big problem. You know, like the fact that your house is going to be foreclosed tomorrow or something like that. So, but there are lesser problems than that and the mind tries to figure them out. And sometimes this comes out in a dream state. So, you know, with me, because I've been knocking on the door of this time research, that's why the David Anderson dreams are so uh, charged and exciting. uh, Because it's like, wow, I'm, I'm having a communication. And you know, he's not always been the easiest person to get information out of, because he has all these sort of built in security blocks, or it's as if he does, has built in security blocks. So the last time I spoke to him, I asked him questions for about an hour, and then I had the audience ask questions. And, but it was, I had to be very, uh, I guess what you'd say, it was, it's, you have to be careful that if you ask if you let him talk too long he'll he'll talk for 5 or 10 minutes and not really say too much you know so you want to it's hard to get things out of him that are of really value because he can talk for 5 minutes and not really tell you much because that's his nature it's almost mm-hmm. like he has a built-in security security issue and then the people were asking questions that i thought were extremely inappropriate and and it was not they were asking him questions that were metaphysical and not in his field, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it really wasn't his forte, and you know it wasn't necessary, so they didn't even know how to treat him um, but um so anyway that that's so, so I hope I answered your question
1: with with your interactions and dream with David. How does that play out? How? What does that give give us a feel for it?
2: As I said, you know, years ago, I I had dreamt of him, uh, um, you know, having these tapes erased and wanting to get the tapes and being frustrated about it and, uh, you know, actually coming out into my living room and having this lion grab me by the by the hand with his mouth <laughs> and dragged me over to the TV set and there was a, a glass of water on the TV set. And not a glass of water, a bowl of water, which was from a Qigong exercise when you know you're taught to, you know, look at a have a bowl of water and then every so often look at the water and go, move, mm-hmm. you know, to move, move the vibration in the water. And then then the, the lion and then the, the TV is off. But it was like this was the lion dragging me to the television, which eventually I would make videos of, of David's work. And, and the, the lion is like the, uh, you know, it's like the, the head of the Zodiac. It's uh, the highest frequency. Yes. In one respect. So anyway, that was one dream. But the other night, it was a few weeks ago, I had a, uh, an astounding dream where he was pointing at a watch on my wrist i don't wear a watch in real life so it's like he's that means watch watch but he's Mm. pointing with his right finger which in qigong we're taught that you emit qi and you practice to emit qi out of your right index fingernail area you're emitting qi out of there so he's pointing with that finger and he's pointing to minute hand which is on 46. I just wrote my newsletter and and that was I mentioned that dream. As soon as I finished the newsletter and sent it out, I then realized what the 46 meant. The 46 refers to the fact that there's 46 chromosomes in human DNA. <laughs> so, I there's a whole other theme of uh the what's called the 24th gene pair and as something I even wrote a. A script for and we acted out in Romania, on that theme of the 24th gene pair, which uh, I posited that when you have the 24th gene pair unjammed, so you have when you have the gene pair unjammed, so you have 24 gene pairs instead of 23, you have a much more fluid capability to have paranormal abilities, which might include shape shifting or time traveling or whatever, and. Actually, wrote that he he read that and uh, you know endorsed that I I do a we do a movie on it.
0: I've heard that from I don't remember where I heard someone else talking about that. It was like that second that that twenty fourth pair was folded over incorrectly or atrophied. I can't remember the term they used, but it hadn't fully formed into part of the spiral.
2: Well, what it is 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 a it's 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 a it's not a unknown theory. Okay. I certainly up with it, but it's it's the whole idea is that two chromosomes are jammed together. Um, I had a friend who was an expert in uh, what do you call it biology, not just biology,
0: uh, genetics,
2: genetics. Uh, it was some type of biology, but you know he was he was he was expert, and he talked about that. He says, "Oh yeah, we should have." you know, weekly or monthly discussions on this subject, it's so important. He saw the importance from a biological perspective of of this. Now, a disease in the body is when you have chromosomes mixed, mixed mm-hmm. up uh, or homo- hormones astray. But so, so this is like a master disease. It can be viewed as a master disease of the human body. It's like the body's walking around in a disease state. You could you could uh, hypothesize that this is why human beings don't use all of their brain because they have a jam chromosome. Uh, I have one friend who told Judy Cole, and she said, uh, she was very interested in this topic. And she says, you know, you've got to find out from Preston uh, how to unjam a frequency. Will that unjam these two gene pairs? So I called and I asked him, he says, I know what you're talking about. He says, that. That's very problematic because it's so complicated. These things are so scrambled up. So he said it was a very complicated issue. He knew exactly what she was talking about.
0: Do you think this scrambling was uh, done intentionally or just something we've grown into, evolved into, whatever?
2: I don't know. I think the new book that Radu just delivered, uh, it's called Forgotten Genesis, might have some uh, elucidation on that. But I don't know because I haven't read it. Um, it's not. I don't even think it's published in Romanian. I only have it in Romanian, so I have to, you know, read it piece by piece. And I should have an answer in six months.
1: Do you think other signicators like um, heterochromia in the eyes and Rh negative play into this twenty fourth gene pair? Uh, Anomalous stuff that can act, that acts to me, looking at it as an activating factor.
2: It would seem to be, they would seem to be related only because those aspects represent paranormal functions. And maybe if you had the 24th gene pair uh, active, maybe these uh, expressions would be more. Fluid. You can even posit that this is related to something called the Christ consciousness, where you have a fully activated human being that is fully active and fluid between the dimensions. If you go back into early Christianity, it's not all this stuff we see in religious movies. Sometimes you'll see bits of it in a religious movie where they'll show the Vesica Pisces. And the Bessica Pisces was like the, the watchword of the day. That was the signal of the age of Pisces, but it represents, and probably best expressed by Phil Dick, it, it's, it's like a world of love. It's like a dimension of love, and where you're not in this, this dimension. So in other words, people were escaping to another dimension, and connecting to another dimension. Escape might not be the best word. So it would create, and so it gets transmuted into a a ridiculous situation where this world is bad, because you don't want to have pleasure in this world because it'll take your attention off the other world. And so pleasure and bathing and things like that become evil. And then you have martyrdom kicking in and people suffering uh, for no good reason. And and it, so it gets denigrated into the suffering on the cross, and it becomes a sadomasochistic religion based on sadomasochism and cannibalism. You know, rather than something that is more um, wholesome, <laughs> <laughs> and wholesome. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, uh, you know, that's that's what we're dealing with here.
0: I really think they're on their last legs, though. I can't see the Catholic Church. I can't see the Vatican existing as it is for another 20 years. But that's me. I said that 20 years ago, too. <laughs> they have a
2: uh, uh, a saying or sort of a underground truth in Rome, and that someday the bones of Peter will be dragged through the street. mm They're not really his bones.
1: Yeah, but symbolically,
2: this—he's—I think—I—they don't even have any. I don't think uh, historical evidence. Much of what they do have of Peter is false. Yeah. Uh, Well, that. So um, we have a lot of stories. Peter, by the way, the name Peter uh, comes from uh, Peter. Peter. It means interpreter. Interpreter. That Peter. What was meant interpreter, his real name was Simon, so in esoteric tradition, according to blavatsky p t r meant peter every every oracle had a peter had an interpreter, and he was surrounded by twelve disciples, and only one of them was allowed to see the oracle you know that that was an ancient tradition that she talked about in Isis and Baal.
1: oh yes, yes, it's been so long since I read that I mean a long time. So, all right, back to the, back to the dream, dr- the architecture of the dreamscape as you experience it now and, um, and how you navigate through it. And I'm specifically at this point looking for maybe your perceptions on, and this is why I brought up the time equals distance uh, paradigm or equation, is within the dreamscape, Is there a sense of timing? Do you experience a sense of timing?
2: Well, I experience what I experience. I mean, sometimes the timing feels impeccable. Uh, What I felt with David Anderson lately is he's been in the dream state, he's been irritated and impatient uh, to get together with me, which it should be the other way around. You know, not that I'm impatient, but. You know, I'm I'm very accessible uh, to him. He's not what, very to me.
1: Why do you think he's impatient right now?
2: Well, that's just what the dream is saying. He might not be impatient at all, but uh, well, it's probably because um, the time. It's it's almost like the dream is is forcing itself to uh, to come out. In other words, I, I'm. You know, I'm very, I guess what you'd call even keeled about it, mm-hmm. but it's saying that even though I'm even keeled about it, that there's something that wants to make, make more happen on this subject.
0: So have you talked to him about dreaming about him?
2: Um, yes. Very interesting. Um, this goes back to 2010. And what had happened was, was the last time I saw him in person. In 2010, he had written to me an email, and he says, "I would like to have a face-to-face meeting with you. Uh, you think we could do it this weekend, uh, upcoming weekend?" And I said, "Well, I said yes, but there's only one problem. We're having an event out at Montauk that week." He said, uh, "If you, you know, I'm, I'm going to be out there that week. If you want to come out there, it's fine." and he wrote back and said is it okay if i make a presentation there i said certainly and that's where he actually showed us an early uh, prototype of his time reactor on a video and there was about 20 people there but i said yeah please do so after he did the presentation on a saturday he came out on a friday he spent the day with everybody on saturday And then on uh, Sunday morning, I took him out to breakfast and I said, "Uh, David, because we we didn't have a chance to talk personally until that morning. And I said, you said you wanted to have a face-to-face meeting with me. What was it about? What did you want to have a face-to-face meeting? He says, I wanted to know what you wanted to do at Atlanticron in Romania this year. And I said, oh, that's, you know, that's kind of seemed kind of ridiculous, you know, like <laughs> what do I want to do? Oh, why don't we do a film? Because last year we were doing a film and and, and somebody wanted to take the cape and they, they, they ruined the whole project for the kids. Somebody got selfish about their cape, some adult. <laughs> I said, he's acting very childish. And I said, so we couldn't do this film. So, but this time I'll do a script ahead of time. We'll have a script and, and we'll have everything we need. And he says, "Okay, I'll get some software." Blah 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 blah. And that was the meeting. But I said, "I said I had a dream before he he wrote to me, and the dream was. Um, I was in a hotel, and I looked down from a from a mezzanine downstairs, and I I saw this guy, and I said that I was looking for David Anderson." And the guy identified himself and said, uh, he said, uh, oh, he's not here yet. He'll be here soon. And I told Dave, and then later I had a meeting with David in that dream. And I told him about this guy. And he said, yeah, we have a guy by that same name who works in the, uh, in the, uh, in the Time Research Center so i was picking up on an actual employee of his in that's the dream true. that's remarkable well
0: how how well, is that different from like remote viewing
2: well you know it depends i mean remote viewing is is, tradition, is traditionally not a dream it's oh, oh
0: that was in a dream i'm
2: sorry and that was in a dream mm. and uh, it's the visual cortex working and connecting me to people in his research center or at least one person in his research center
0: people around him.
2: Yeah. And, and it's like, uh, you know, who the people are who have participated in his time and experiments, I have no idea who they are. Um, but, uh, the last time I talked to him was, was it a year and a half ago during an event? And I said, David, one of the questions I have, you said that, uh, you know, last time we spoke, you said that I'd be able to see your, uh, you know, see one of these research labs. And he, all he said was, he says that the time is, it's getting very close to when that'll happen. Of course, it's been a year and a half.
0: Yeah, but he can jump ahead in time. So
2: <laughs> we don't know what he can and can't do. True. We really don't. And uh, from what I've been able to, to gather, he has a normal, uh, physiological aging process that he's undergoing just like the rest of us.
0: That's cool. I couldn't help but think about when you're talking about the dreams and stuff around David, about the movie Arrival, which seems to be coming up lately. But did you see that movie? Arrival? Yeah, with um Amy Adams. You should watch it. You'd like it. Never heard of it. It's about it was like best picture a few years ago, I think. Or close to best picture. Anyway. I'm
2: so I'm so tuned out of- <laughs> What's popular? Not completely. I did see Game of Thrones. I saw it all in about a period of a month, but. Um, I haven't seen that. Not, but I, I tend to be tuned out to what people are watching.
0: So, well, in this movie, um, aliens make first contact with Earth and they teach this one person their language, or she learns their language through commun- interacting with them. And in learning the language, she gains. I don't know how to explain it other than her her awareness of her point in time changes to be it grows so she can see things in her future, remember if you will things in her future and things in her past you know equally so and my my thought was maybe being close to David has somehow entangled your energies, so you are now your awareness has expanded into his purview to what he experiences.
2: There is is some sort of connection, but one thing uh, I was talking about with a friend of mine who knows him, and and, uh, it's it's like I said, you know, because his website is now off the web, he'd be like, if I wasn't like stirring him up, you know, he wouldn't be as much of a, Icon as he is, you know, he does a lot of stuff on his own and make, and there's you know there's interviews with him that have nothing to do with me, but it's like I'm stirring him up, Mm -hmm. and it's like it's sort of like, and then I I I delivered an explanation of his technology in a very clear form, which nobody else is going to do, um, and and, you know it's like, it's a little, uh, it's just kind of. You know, because I understand certain aspects of it. People come to me as an expert on time, but I'm really not. He's the expert. But I have a I have a precise understanding of it.
3: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: it's it's uh, a little bit a little bit like uh, somebody who's a, a boxing trainer, uh who doesn't box, you know, but he knows he can tell you who can beat who and why they can beat who. and and how to train a boxer, sort of. I mean, it's it's a little bit like that, because um, I don't travel in time, but I, I know certain aspects of it.
0: Do you give any credence to um, other reported time travelers like uh, Bishago or, I can't think of another one.
1: Teeter. Teeter,
0: well, that's not real. I mean, that's...
1: But, I mean, it's still a name out
0: there. True, true. I was thinking more like Andrew Bishago. I was thinking more government-run time-travel programs
2: um you know the problem uh with and I'm not even going to address those two uh the problem with people that come out with their stories they're just like a dangling participle <laughs> they, they go nowhere, they go nowhere. Right, was, right it's like you know
0: the slice of time that has no context <laughs>
2: I was Nefertiti in a past life. Okay, good. <laughs> no, good for you. Good for you. It's like, it, it's, I mean, they could all be telling the truth, but it's still, it's sort of like, it's it's attention grabbing. Uh, and I, I saw some video on time travel on YouTube, and it was like this guy talking, he was talking so much and so fast, he didn't have any clue what he was saying. You couldn't possibly following. He's talking about wormhole here, wormhole there, blah 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 blah. blah. He started <laughs> quoting, uh, you know, the Frank Tipler stuff, but he didn't have any. He wasn't addressing any form of understanding, just shouting out a bunch of neat, Okino concept. And this is unfortunately, I listened to an MIT professor on YouTube uh, talking about time travel, and all he was doing was talking about movie, and. Mm-hmm. He, demonstrated no academic, you know, conveyance of information academically. It was all just a bunch of theorizing based upon movie. This is not what a professor is supposed to be. In other words, he's feeding off of popular meme. This is not academic. And it was kind of embarrassing if you were, you know, but people don't even know it's embarrassing.
1: Yeah, it's it's become ironic. <laughs>
2: It's, it's just yeah so so and then and then you have and I uh, there's going to be a documentary that I'll be participating in and, and the producer asked me he says is it okay if we have a physicist uh, comment on this and I said well the problem you're going to have there is you have, first you have to qualify the physicist mm-hmm. because most of them won't even understand it you know and, and they'll go off and pontificate on you know something uh redu recent book inside the earth which was just published goes into a whole discussion of black holes which physicists have never come up with it's interesting very interesting so you know it's it's sort of like you're dealing with uh, it's it's i don't i wouldn't call it frustrating all you can do is educate people you're dealing with people that are experts that although they might be experts. They have a very limited knowledge, and they're not as expert as they think they are. Yes. But, but they're hailed as experts. Yes. And this is a uh, this is a big problem.
1: I think so too. What so in back in your dream world, if you don't mind, the do you? Is it possible for you, and I'm just asking this of you and your experience with all this, coming to, coming to 66, years, 66 years of dreams and then how the content in which your life spills into that realm, do you think that dream, the dream frequency, the dream landscape is possibly can act as a portal? can can we is it, it so what do you think's going on there and is it possible that it well, could be a portal
2: it's definitely it, it depends how you define or how you mean portal but of course a, is a a dream is a uh, expression of consciousness so what you have in the case of like a portal the way I interpret this or the way I approach it is you're talking about an exaltation of consciousness in the dream state, and that, that becomes synonymous with like an out-of-body experience where you connect with yourself outside the realm of the physical body, outside the realm of the physical universe. That is a different context. Can the dream take you there? Yes, it can. Uh, could the dream take you to a parallel universe? That is like a parallel universe. It could. It fits your consciousness there. Yes. Um, it, there's no limits, period. The dream state can either mimic that or be a gateway to that. It's a. In Qigong, we're taught to pay attention to our dream. One of the things we're taught to do is pick out 30 details in the environment every day. You know, like look at that detail, look at that detail as you're walking around. And then that will make you, uh, encourage you to be aware when you wake up in your dream. And you wake up in your dream, and what are you taught to do when you wake up in your dream? You're taught to do Qigong while in the dream state, so as to maintain <laughs> the dream state. And then walk around and, uh, be pretty or whatever you're supposed to do. You know, you can explore the dream world. Um, that's that's one approach.
1: So with that, with all that, and especially, this is why I love the Qui-Gon stuff, and that you are adept in that as well. Is there is there a possibility of unlocking a greater code, say the immortality code? So you wake up within the dream. The dreamer loves the dream. The dreamer feeds the dream. All that stuff is there.
2: Well, well can... let, let, let me let me let me say this, and and uh, certainly it's possible. But if we take uh, the book Transylvania Sunrise, where it talks about a chamber beneath the Romanian Sphinx, mm-hmm. where there is ostensibly a device that can read out your DNA and it can read out the DNA of other, virtually any species on any planet and and hybridizations of that DNA. Because this is a device and because at the time that book was written, they'd only explored it for six weeks, it's like if they have that capability of microscopically analyzing your DNA and they can look into the history of the world, it is obviously that someone whether it's the protagonists that, that are in the books that I publish or not, certainly they would be the, the most obvious ones to do it. can look at this whole issue of the the, the gene pair that I'm talking about. Okay. I don't know if it's even mentioned in the new book, but because I haven't got there yet. And, uh, you know, maybe I could do a, what do you call it, a, a find? Hit the find command and, and look for a. <laughs> You know, gene-parent chromosomes in the Romanian tongue and, and cheat and go ahead and start, you know, translating stuff ahead of time but, um, and see if he, if he does comment on it. It's certainly uh, something I would encourage him to do uh, if I had the opportunity to encourage him. <clears throat> so this is like a dream world. He talks about, he even describes it as something of a dream world, although it's not a dream world. Uh, he, it's very much akin to it, because it's in a it's in a different state of mind. So, is it access? If it's accessible there, it's accessible in the dream. In fact, uh, there is a mention in Transylvania Moonrise about a friend of mine who did have a dream of being with David Anderson and myself in this chamber, and it fit the description of the the chamber beneath the Romanian stinks, although the book wasn't even out. She didn't know about it. So she was picking up in a dream state on David and I being in that chamber, and it was all about the 24th Dean Pair. It that, yeah, that'll probably be in my next newsletter because I still have to put it together. You know, that's what the last newsletter led me to, this whole chromosome issue. And uh where does it stand? What does it mean? It it suggest the evolution of, of human beings. Uh, but when I see human beings in their day-to-day existence, they don't look like they're too ready to evolve in that direction. They <laughs> just go. I mean, because people are if, are occupied with just other things. Mm-hmm. The the people and the and the small amount of people who are genuinely interested in it, it's it's almost like uh you know they're not quite ready for that uh and and the real you, you think that the real smart people in the world you know some of the people that are changing society through cyberspace these people some of them are very intelligent most of them are very intelligent and so they have a whole new criterion of how they view the world It's in astrology it's very uranian so you know how would they deal with some of these problems some of these people are unfortunately not not as high-minded as, as we would like. Uh, but they could p- perhaps tackle the problem. Technology is uh can bring great solutions for mankind. It can also bring negative things.
1: So with this, is it possible, and so, and I, you know, when I'm asking these questions, I'm really, I'm asking you and um, what your opinion is. So just just so you know, uh, it, the idea of timelines, so we talk a little bit about dimensions and obviously the dream state from this state is a shift in, in modality, it's a shift in dimensions. Is there a way, do you see this whole timeline conversation that seems to be going on more increasingly of late as playing over in dreams? Is it able to affect the here and now if we're if we shift a timeline within a dream?
0: Wait, wait, can we get a, a, an opinion on what do you consider a timeline first? Versus well, a like dimension versus parallel we'll reality, whatever.
1: Peter's Peter's life is his life is one timeline that, that you can map out from, you know, having that first experience, you know, when you're young to where you were today, that could be one timeline that is, that apparently seems coherent, at least. So within a dream where it's, we are allowing ourselves a certain suspension Of reality or disbelief where we can pop around and it's easier to move from this scene to that scene from this timeline to that timeline are we able to affect the current reality of this waking dream that we're in through through the dimensional shift of what we consider dreaming
2: well you you, what by the rhetoric you were using you presented a very interesting You know, question, and that's the, like, if you want to define a timeline, the end is the beginning. It's a loop. Yes. It's all a loop. So, therefore, that loop is uh, a relatively infinite loop, and it has a certain consistency in it, but this presents a, a very big existential issue because it's okay, so if it's a timeline and we die, mm-hmm. what is the memory of that timeline? That timeline can only be a memory of the collective consciousness, which includes those who come before us and those who will come after it. So it's like it's like this continuation of existence. That is independent of our active uh, participation as a human being.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like you know, it's, so it's a rolling window of time. That's a loop. I can see yeah, that. Yeah,
2: yeah. And it's like, and, and somehow it all comes back to the same place.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: and now that's that's hard for the. It's it's called a closed timeline curve. It's very hard for the mind to wrestle with that perception of it.
0: I get However, it. I totally get it.
3: <laughs> yes, you do. If,
2: if there is there is a also a when you get into what's called the fifth dimension, that's the potential of all of everything. And and this is akin to the phenomenon known as white noise. And white noise, it has different definitions,
3: mm. but in
2: its its most abstract and, and pure definition. It's the sum total of, of everything. And it, it's a transmission. This is why, you know, when you get white noise on the TV, <laughs> that is an indication. It's, it's an indication whether that's exactly the white noise we're talking about. You know, Preston talked about it being uh, referenced to zero time. But white noise is all the potentials. So, like, say, what you do with, with a TV or radio, you're filtering that noise. And th- it's noise because it's not filtered. And when you filter the white noise, you have a transmission. That is channel 7 or channel 6 or, you know, WABC or whatever you're listening to. The
0: mm-hmm. signal, the signal.
2: Yeah, it's, and, and signal processing, by the way, is where so much weird stuff goes on in the Army. <laughs> you know, we're into signal processing is uh you often find they're you know tied to mK ultra type stuff,
0: yeah, but, I, uh, I think the craziest tech that the military tech is probably analog
2: well the, the white noise theme represents all the potential different realities that there are, and in in the in Hinduism they had the god Brahma who with every breath would create a new universe that's a Theological way of saying the same thing about white noise. You're, you have all these universes, all these different timelines, if you want to call them that. And then can the timelines interact with each other? Certainly. They could infinitely react with one another. And then you have the big, you could call it the big man or big woman upstairs. That's that's the the godhead. The Godhead isn't like the man with the white beard. It's 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 consciousness. It's like from that perspective, God is trying to find itself through all of its creatures and self recognition. It's just like it's it's and it's not unlike uh, a baseball team that will go out and win some games and lose some games and take a player off the team if they're not performing well. That's kind of how. A godhead would look at life. You know, got some good players. He's got some bad players, and uh, and it's like he's trying to find himself, but only for the purpose of recognition. You know, he's just like he's experiencing him or herself. It's kind of uh, and then we're just and and because you're interested in astrology, when you talk about astrology from an astrological perspective, we evolve originally from the outer planets, from outer space into the sun.
3: Mm-hmm. But
2: when you get from the earth, you, you're you kind of born through Venus, and then you go to Mercury. Mercury is the mind. Mercury rules the mind, Gemini.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So you have a mind. But once you have a mind, then you go into the sun, which is your ego. And then... You know the ego is a result of having a mind. So it's kind of like we think we're real smart, evolving this human mind. But the human mind is is almost like at the lower ebb of evolution from this standpoint. And then once you have an ego, then you have to go back through your mind, you know, back up to the outer planets, to where you, uh, you know, evolve back outwards. So the mind, you know, we think is this tremendously wonderful development, (laughs) but it's, uh, it's kind of a, the mind is a very divorced entity. It's a very divorced entity. Uh, and it's, it's remarkable on the one hand. On the other hand, it's an individuated piece of consciousness that is, uh, very much divorced from the whole. So You know, you have these ideas of remote viewing. Well, remote viewing is this whole idea that you can go out and experience the, you know, sort of divine powers. And nobody can really do it. So with any realistic uh, consistency. So...
0: Or without technological intervention.
2: Well, it's just, yeah, but it, it just kind of doesn't... Yeah, so it's like, you know...
0: It's different, I get it.
2: The whole perspective of the mind is I mean, not the limited, but it's somewhat overrated the way we look at it. Yeah. When you look at the whole divine schematic. So we're all sitting here on these multiple timelines and consciousness is just, you know, becoming aware of itself and that's kind of the game. It's like how much how much can we find out? You know, it's yeah. like
0: go ahead. No, I was gonna say it totally explains the repetition in the global quote unquote narrative that 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 I see, and I'm sure other people see it too, that the same stories just play out over and over again with different characters.
2: Well, yes, and, and of course, when we move into these subjects, it gets a little more existential and, and a little more interesting. But in the end, you know, you're kind of, you know, you're, you're, you're right, because you can just say, well, what, what did they know in Atlantis? They knew everything, you know? <laughs> And they misfired, or you know, or some other civilization we don't even talk about or recognize.
0: It's the reptilians. Come on, they're the ones who crashed Atlantis. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's the going story. The Draco, Draco, the Syrian bees. So Sirius B, Draco reptilians, like did something to Atlantis, gave them some kind of AI, which blew up their shit. But that's just wow. a story, you know.
2: A lot of simplistic explanations.
0: <laughs> so I, yeah, for, for this thing, we have zero evidence for.
2: Yeah, I don't pay too much attention to that
1: stuff. So. Well, in light of all that as well, the what do you think is so, especially coming from Qui Gong background, what's the nature of this reality that we're in which is very also dreamlike you know because of the the momentary aspect of it
2: well what i would i and i just wrote about this it's it's the, the nature of this universe that we know is resistant to concepts of time travel it's it's resistant. um much in the way that, um, uh, you know, society has its, you know, what do you call them, taboos.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Like you don't take off your clothes in public in a society. And if you do, you'll get shunned. Uh, <laughs> you know, there, there's all sorts of things you don't do in polite society or even impolite society. Uh you don't kill people, but you know you just see the sort of resistance. You know if, if you know, like somebody comes into a room and just says, "Hey, I killed somebody." I mean, you imagine the way people are going to react. Well, this universe is is, and the people in it are very resistant to time travel. They really are, because yes. we're not built for it as we exist, and it and it's I. Uh, equate this to what I call the 666 frequency. The 666 frequency is indicative of uh, Baphomet, the energy of the earth, the energy of the physical plane. It's, it's, It's like a retarded zone because everything is dense and stuck. So this is where this idea of the 24th gene pair on sticking the person from his body, his physical body to where he becomes more liquid. In Qigong, we have the liquid body. You've got the physical body and you've got the liquid body. You have the vapor body, um, the energetic body. But, but the whole thing is, is if you can become more liquid, you're more, you know, you you can do more things.
0: Be like so, water. Uh, pardon me. Be like water.
2: Exactly. So when when you have these, these this sort of situation with uh, with with the you know the world the way it is, it's it's really something that one has to uh, recognize and evolve out of, whether the whole universe can be sort of like rebooted, that's that's something else indeed. I mean, there's all, you know, theology has thought about all of these things at one time or another, and there's this whole idea, and this is a Quan Yin concept from ancient China, Is like, you know, Quan Yin will not rest until every... Soul is compassionately relieved from suffering in this in this plane. You know that's that's a concept.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know nobody gets off until everybody's off. But that's just an idea. You know one doesn't want to become a slave to, you know, rescuing every last piece of, you know.
0: It's not our job.
2: Well, oh, so some people think it is. You
0: those know, I mean, people are misguided probably by fake spirit it's guides
2: it's a matter of choice yeah. and uh you know it's a, and you know the, the thing is most of us in our current state aren't uh capable uh, to even yeah it, it would be misguided to the point that we're we're not capable of carrying out such a thing
1: where where do you how do you see the pillars of intent and fate within within all this, is there a sense of fate? We talked about Providence earlier, but is there a sense, like the, the closed square, or is there a sense that we are not driving, but we think we are?
2: Well, I, I say when you're dealing with a, a subject of any kind, it could be esoterica, it could be magic, it could even be Qigong, it could, and it could be um, the stock market. You have to have intelligence to deal with it, but intelligence is not good enough alone. You also have to have access. So if, if you want to, you know, if, if, you, if you have, like, say, uh, uh, what is his name, Aristotle Onassis uh, made his fortune as he was a telephone operator in Buenos Aires, and he would hear all the trades going on. So he had access to the inside information and it's only illegal to trade on inside information in the U S this was back, you know, a long time ago and he traded yeah. that's how he made his initial money. And then he invested in shipping companies and became the, the head shipper of the world. You know, Maria
1: so Cales <laughs> Yeah.
2: He had access and he had intelligence. Okay. And there's a third factor, fate, which is what you just brought up. Fate, which is also part of good luck. Um, in re- mythology, Fortuna was the daughter of Jupiter. You know, Jupiter is, is good luck. And, and so, in other words, you can have access and intelligence, but you might, you also need good luck. And as a subdivision of of fate is is really choice. Choice. Choosing. Choosing is very much related to the word power. Mm. If you have power, you can choose. You can select. Uh, So this is uh, these are all elements of, of life. You know, power, you can choose. So it's like you choose um, you, you might be given a, a crummy uh, situation in life, but you can choose to make it better or choose to change it. If you say it has to stay the same, then you'll never change. And this mm-hmm. this is a big deal. But you've been handed the fortune, and with fortune goes goes choice. And if you have intelligence and access, it makes it all, all the better. So these are elements of... Uh, Of life that are that should be recognized.
1: So, with the visual cortex, as we were talking about it earlier, let's add in sound resonance. That's making up how our processing units are perceiving this waking reality that we're having. Do you see? How do you see resonance playing within all of this that we've been weaving together?
2: The whole universe has been uh, said to come from a single sound, mm-hmm. a monochord, which again, is you're dealing with a filtering sound, is just one other um, perception. You know what we we're talking about visual cortex, but there's also a representative audio cortex function mm-hmm. where, where you're, you're you know you're just filtering the electromagnetic spectrum. And the electromagnetic spectrum, in its totality, is gonna to be white noise. So yes. it's a, you're filtering it. You're filtering it with with sound or with visualization. Obviously, you can have the two go hand-in-hand. Hand they kinda of do go hand-in-hand. Hand.
0: And it's also, but, sorry, but, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead.
2: No. You, you,
0: I was going to say not only are you filtering it physically but you're filtering it mentally through your your belief systems and your ego and what information you take in is filtered through the way you view reality. So it's almost like a double processing there.
2: Exactly. Yeah, it's like I mean yeah, multiple processing and this this becomes intelligent. So, you know, like artificial intelligence isn't really artificial. It's intelligent. It's, yes, it's just not. It's not organic. It's not. Well, see, the funny thing about it is, is that are we mimicking the process of intelligence in human bodies? Human, humans are what create artificial intelligence, so it's it's like it's like in magic. It's an extension, it's a familiar. Yes, it becomes like a familiar, and where this becomes very dangerous is in the concept of a golem. Mm. Yes, golem, which is. You know, created by man, but is not man. And to what degree? Like we have HAL the computer in two thousand one, right. which becomes like a golem that you know uh, makes itself more uh, important. You know, at the expense of human life.
1: Artifice.
2: <laughs> exactly.
1: Is is it possible? Then, with all this and i I like the idea that f- for that we brought in artificial intelligence, even though it is that you know it is intelligence nonetheless, what makes this with all of the stimuli and as we look at it through the filter of white noise, what makes this why is this reality not considered a dream what what's giving us? What's holding it down, suggesting that these rules are actually tangible and real?
2: Well, I I think that many uh, traditions do consider it a a dream, illusion, maya. It's like, what is holding it? Well, a dream is in a different context than so-called ordinary life, because a dream is, you know, it's all sort of pretend. Uh, This is a dream that is... It's like a program on the holodeck of Star Trek, which you can't, you know, if you can't suspend it. You can't get out of it unless you are evolved to the point where you know how to do that, where you can step outside. That's that's a point of personal
0: evolution or die. Or die. <laughs> yeah, that's a yeah. quick and way then, out.
2: Well, yeah, and then when you die, uh, there is there has to be a different perspective. Um, there has to be a different perspective because you can't. When you die you can't maintain the artifice of, of the human body anymore. You are relieved and you know it's like you hear these things about people who have passed away and they experience such great peace and relief. You hear these stories. Um
0: but that, that just was, might be what you want to hear.
2: Well, yeah, well, you know, it's uh
0: uh, I'm, I'm uh, not poo-pooing ghosts, by the
2: oh, way. No, I know. So certainly it's, a, it's a one alternative uh, because, you see, the thing is you can realize how futile some of the, the problems people have in life. They get so attached to them. And then you hear stories of the Greek gods uh, being... Jealous of humans because their lives aren't forever. Their, their lives will end. The, the gods become jealous. Immortal mm-hmm. is like a curse to them. Oh, it's all relative. It's all relative.
1: What are you so with Let's Ruminate on Death for a Minute and, you know, it, it always occurs to me, and I say this every show, is that it, it, it just is, the same thing to me as the birthing process. Just they seem like the same points. Like the the school the the line is now circled, and uh, you mentioned it is shedding the artifice of the avatar, the flesh, and yet in context to some of the great philosophical ponders, this is no matter what. In some of them, this is a dream, and and even the even the golem that we're filling the clay meeting is is part of it. So we're not the the breath. Our breath, the I, is not really I. So what 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 is? Could you just go further into death and how you experience the? uh, Oh, I'm stumbling here.
2: Well, okay, when when you're saying the breath, the breath is very important because the breath is what defines life. Breath is in-and-out function. You breathe in, you exhale out. In Qigong, you're taught to breathe in and breathe out the same duration. You want it to be as long as possible. So So you have a balance of yin and a balance of yang. They balance together, so that is the action of life. So, life, uh, she is life. She is breath, and it is also equates to spirit. So it's it's the very action of in and out. And you you know obviously you see that in the sexual process, which is an aggrandized form of creating life.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But you. So, so it's like, you know, you're moving in, you're moving out, you know, you're going back and forth. This is life in itself. And, of course, in a body, it's very well defined. If you're outside of the body, it's a different reference point, but you're still going to be moving in and out if you're participating in the stream of consciousness. So, it, so much of it depends upon the perspective that one takes.
1: What do you, so, and I guess we didn't get to this earlier, I think you said earlier, way earlier, that if I recall right, and I didn't make a note on this, that you haven't had an out-of-body experience. I've had an
2: out-of-body experience.
1: What could you walk us through what that was like for you and and possible any details about it and then your idea of what it is?
2: Well, I, I can only say that uh I think I I identified with an out-of-body experience when I read that Ray Bradbury story, the um uh, the kaleidoscope, because it, it kind of told me that I was immortal. But that wasn't necessarily a, uh, a uh, you know, a, a, a spiritual experience. Well, it was in a sense, but it wasn't like I had any visual sensation. Well, it's kind of like I did, but it, I, I, it was just an excitement. Um, I did have a dream. Uh, when I was in high school, of going out of my body, and it was a very odd dream, because I dreamt and see I was not Christian at all. I was, you know, very much, and I, and I was not trained in Christianity. I would only you know heard what people talk about, and I had a dream uh, of being in some civilization that was kind of baroque. It was it was strange, but but we were all looking for Jesus, and he was a point of safety. And I found this very kind of like odd, because I wouldn't have identified with that at all in my waking life, and there was this character called the Beast. Now, I didn't know what the Beast was, because I, I didn't know the Beast 66 I had no idea. He you, you might have heard, heard about it. So everybody was afraid of the Beast, and I was one of these people, and... Trying to find Jesus, and finally I found him in a crowd, and I touched his robe, which was obviously inspired by the fact that I saw the movie The Robe. I touched his robe, and then I went out of my body. I went straight up to the moon, off the earth, and to the moon, and I looked over the moon, and the moon was like newspaper clipping, like. And this was actually sort of a prognostic dream of Peter Moon that I was going to become Peter Moon with a moon. Oh, wow. And it was called, in the dream, it said, this is Isaac Asimov's moon. And of course, Isaac Asimov died just as before I wrote the Montauk Project. You know, he would have had hyper reactions to that book. But he was sort of like the, you know, myopic scientist. But... uh yeah, so that, that was a, a, an experience I had in a, in a dream state, but I, I got involved in Scientology in 1971, and at which point when I was studying the, the Dianetics course, he's talking about past lives and exteriorization, which he called out-of-body exteriorization. I had no inkling of either one of these, not really. I although I'd had an experience that I could identify with that, I said, wow, this stuff is really far out. But as I began to do the techniques, I had a an experience with this, which was uh relieved me of you know uh physical problems that I had in my throat. You know, uh, great relief, tremendous relief. Uh wow. If that's the only thing I'd ever experienced with Dianetics, I would have been happy as shit. You know, that, that's it, great. And then a year after that, and I had quite a, I could reference myself outside of my body. And then a year, a year later than that, I had a full blown out of the body experience where I lifted up over the, uh, the location I was in. It was during a, an, a, an event a Scientology event, and I looked down and I could see my friend and me sitting down below. And I said, wow. And that was kind of a, I suppose it's a St. Paul moment of St. Paul falling off his horse and becoming a Christian. I was already a Scientologist at that point in my life, but uh, that kind of like made it all become, you know, crystal clear what what the reference point was. And you just kind of know it. It's not like a delusion. It's not like an illusion for me. But I, I've read a herd of people that were in Scientology for thirty or forty years and never had any such thing. happen. You know, they're they're just you know going along uh, at some sort of snail's pace and, and end up in a very abused life situation. That's that's that answers your question
1: beautifully. So and. I want to know: With that experience, did you get a sense of uh, immortality? So, oh, I'm...
2: well, yeah, you have a sense of that you're immortal. I I did have a a revisit of it in 1980s. Um, when I was having my blood drawn at a chiropractic chiropractic clinic, and they were drawing my blood, and I'm watching it. I don't remember the last time I'd had my blood drawn. And I'm happily watching it. I'm not afraid that they're sticking a needle in my arm. But the next thing I know, I'm out. I don't, all I know is that I'm in a total happy situation. I'm outside of my body. I'm in, I'm like, feel like I'm in not heaven per se, but something akin to nirvana. And I said, oh no. My wife is going to be crushed if I die. She's going to be absolutely devastated. I got to come back. So I came back for her. And then I made a decision to come back. And the next thing I see, I see these, uh, the doctors are like panicking. They're going, he's having a seizure. He's having a seizure. They're all panicking. And I go, who's having a seizure? I think to myself, I got to go help this person who's having a seizure. Then I open my eyes and I see all these people like doing shit over me. And I think they're trying to put a tongue depressor in me. And I realize they're talking about me. I said, oh, this, this is not good. I go, and I, I, I couldn't talk. I, lo- I had no voice. So I started to motion them with my hands that I'm okay. And then my voice came back. I said, I'm okay. And basically, I didn't have a seizure. What had happened is they took my blood and I fainted. Yeah. <laughs> they were, and I, I, I wasn't afraid. I don't even remember fainting. I just fainted and I was out and boy, was I in peace. And I came back for my wife. Uh, and that, uh, uh, you know, you know, so, so it's like, wow, that, but that was, I felt like, man, I know where I am when I was out there. I said, man, I'm, I'm in familiar territory. This is not intimidating to me. Um, uh, it, it's, it's a nice place to be. That was my experience.
1: It also speaks to the fact that you had a, there was a sense of your will there. You 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 came back and as we were talking about with um bait and intent earlier that you know somehow that ties into the fact that you did have a choice there
2: uh yeah you always have a choice now that doesn't mean you have a a choice every consecutive second you know it's like like if, you, if you're in a ball game and you're running from second to third base it's not a good idea to just you know, run, run, run off the game. You know what I mean? You're going to upset the tranquility of events. You, you know, you wait till after the game to go, to go off. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Or to quit. You don't quit while you're running between second and third. Uh, you know, there's, there's times to, to make your choices. There's opportunities. This is the God Kairos. Kairos, we hear of Kronos, but Kairos is, is also the god of the quality of time, and he, traditionally he has a lock of hair on his head, and when he comes into your world, you grab that lock and you grab it, he's opportunity. You seize the moment, you seize the opportunity, because he doesn't stay around long, and, and that's why he has one lock of hair, you catch him. So that's there are opportune times, and that's when you make your choice. I'm going to, you know, invest in Facebook today, not, you know, not, not then, not now. I mean, you know, you, if you didn't invest in it back, back in the day, you missed the opportunity.
1: That So with all that said, what, what do you think goes on with this idea of, uh, ghost hauntings besides residual energy? And unless that's literally all you think it is, is there a sense that that things are overlapping?
2: Uh, you, you, well, you'll find, of course they are, but, but what you'll find with ghosts, and you'll find this with entities that are channeled, so much of what these beings are trying to accomplish is to get your attention uh you know just to get your attention and put their thumbs in their ears and wave their fingers at you it's 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 no more complicated than that they are starving for attention i i've seen uh you know channelers and i i was just totally you know it was very obvious they take or you know these spirits will take over a being and uh and 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 you could just see the spirit was just just enjoying the adulation. Now, obviously, the person doing the channeling was getting paid well for it, but the entity was getting much satisfaction—much satisfaction of being uh, admired and viewed.
0: Was it an angel?
2: <laughs> no, okay, it wasn't a devil either. It was just yeah, a being that was enjoying the attention it was getting from the audience and the audience is like, wow, wow. You know, and it's like, it's,
0: uh, that's kind of a psychic vampirism. I
2: was in, just in thinking of like energetics. Yeah, yeah. Energetic. What, what, what yeah. it was was entertainment. It was actually entertainment. Mm-hmm. But that's know,
0: because,
2: a, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I don't think it was that serious as vampirism in this case. It was just entertainment, you know,
0: it's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm just saying,
2: uh, not necessarily a good thing either, but it's, it's correct. correct. <laughs> the, 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 you know, the problem is 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 the the adulation, the uh, um, and and of course, what what is far more interesting to people is than even necessarily to talk about the things we're talking about is is if they can, you know, get prognostications of their own future. People are very interested in their own selves. So, if you you know you you get better ratings for a show if you're doing readings for people and they're calling it and, and they get to ask their questions. That's just the way people are.
0: I, get, okay. I don't get that. I don't want to know anything about my future.
2: Well, what I'm saying is that that's that creates a, a it creates a great demand.
0: Yeah. Oh, totally.
2: Well, but it's because they they want. To, I mean, well, you know, maybe you don't want to know about your future, but some people you know want to know about their next boyfriend. They want to know about you know, whether they can, you know, get a better deal on their house or whether they can win the lottery. This is just how people are. And they're very hungry. Um, they're very hungry for that sort of thing.
0: Hungry ghosts.
1: <laughs> That's just what I was thinking, Jerry. I know. What? So, Peter, what about the, and this is my going to be my wrap-up question before we go to some questions that Jerry has from the chat, if there are any. What is the the concept of the soul and the spirit? With all of this, what what are they? From where you stand, from your stand or slant?
2: Well, you know, the spirit the spirit is just an identity. It's it's an identity. That's all all it can be, you know and, and an entity, an identifiable entity. A soul. I mean, you're getting into semantics, and you know, a soul is is basically. No, there's really no difference. Although a soul implies that uh, it's kind of like a residual body that you know, where all the all the. I guess, underpinnings of the spirit reside. It's it's almost like a suitcase that you carry with you. But in its purest sense, a spirit is just a spirit. And, and the soul would actually be sort of the baggage of the spirit in that sense. Um, the baggage could be full of, you know, cute little kittens and wonderful things. Or it could be filled with all sorts of... Uh... How
0: about memories, experiences, things that it could... Build an ego from, build a personality from.
2: Or, or worse than that, it can yeah. be built. built prime, you know, sort of, you know, it's, it's like, you know, baggage. Um, you know, somebody said that somebody's a, a heavy soul, or a good soul. Well, what, what is it that makes an entity good or bad? It's what he carries with him and what he puts out, you know, the spirit. Is just sort of an identity that, that he identifies. He identifies with good, bad, healing, or negativity. These are experiences, you know. So how we label them and identify them is less important than the fact that we have the experiences.
1: So say the the you that experienced that in the last example you gave us of when you were out of body with the blood drawing yeah was was that experience that you you you're by location there was that possibly your soul was that or was so, it
2: still that, that was me that was me uh, being awake and aware while I was out in, yes in, in, in just a space that was uh, it was more than a mental space Mm-hmm. You know, but it was a mental space, but it, it felt much more like a mental space in that I was <laughs> out in in not not referencing the physical universe. Not, but I wasn't completely disconnected either, because I, I wow, this is this is where you want to be, mm-hmm. and then and then see. Well, I can't, I can't, and I, I remembered I had a connection to my wife, and I didn't want to abandon her. Um, so I, I that was out of consideration, you know. Um i I had a friend who had several out-of-body experiences, and she when she had uh, died or almost she was dead, clinically dead, and they brought her back, and i I was the one who was like you know, on the phone and, and orienting her. And she said, where, where the hell am I? What's going on?" And I, I would orient her to the room and where she was on the phone, and she said, "You know, I, I would have been so happy if I had just passed. Everything would have been perfect." Everything would have been perfect. I could have just left everything behind. She'd have been happier. Passed away. Uh, you know, I mean, she got better and her life worked out. You know, so, but um, you know, she was not afraid of that. Had a lot of experience with it. So, so people. I mean, there's a whole, you know, near death industry. And when I say yeah. industry, I don't yeah. mean to uh, to malign it in, in the way of not economically oriented but it's it's you know that whole state of existence uh, that, that wasn't so mapped out you know 50 years ago
1: yeah yes i agree it but it there is does seem to be also a lot of money with people out there with it too as with anything it's it's still to me all of it's still All of it's still fair game, though. I don't think, you know, science isn't... It's all still fair game for a fair ponder, fair fodder.
2: Well, let me me put it this way. Uh, The compassion and action, which was started by Daniel Brinkley, completely changed the attitudes of how people deal with death and and, uh, hospice. In Mm -hmm. other words, there's, there's much more compassion and understanding of the end stage uh, than there was fifty years ago, and sometimes these people can be very non-adept and very, uh, you know, downright abusive because they don't understand the process. Yeah. So there there has been progress in that area, but those who those who who know uh, can kind of navigate the area, and those who don't know can be befuddled by the experience.
1: Yes. Well said. Uh, all right. Well, that I, I think we've woven the a beautiful cloth here. As far as I'm concerned, I know there must be questions. I would be shocked if there weren't.
0: I only got one. To believe it or not,
1: I, it's sh- shocking to me. I I came into this with so many.
0: Everyone's going to come up with questions now. But the question was about deja vu, which you didn't ask Peter about, but um, as far as Going back to the question that Nish had asked about jumping timelines or switching or whatever, uh, Nate asked if uh, do you think deja vu is possibly a window or a portal or an opportunity to shift into another timeline.
2: Well, you know, I, I never thought about it as an opportunity to shift. It's it, it it's certainly a recognition that uh, it's a familiarization, you know wow, I've been here before. This is familiar to me, this exact moment. Like, you know, people have tried to describe it as, as sort of like a, a brain uh, rewiring of something, like, you know, you just like, what is it, I've been here before. Uh, it's an interesting experience. But I, I think, in my experience, the deja vu is sort of like, it's a recognition. As opposed to an opportunity. If it was an opportunity, I think if I recognize it as an opportunity, it's a reminder. I mean, I, I can't say I can't say that it's not an opportunity, because if if you could, if you kept having enough deja vu's in one day, it, it might kind of clue you in on how to how to think. But uh, usually, they're I haven't had a deja vu in a long time. They're always few and far between. Yeah. always very
0: in one way they're kind of um you could you could one could look at them as timeline synchronicities where two parallel realities if you will meet up And maybe for that
2: different types of deja vu too the ones i've had were just like oh that i've been here yeah yeah mm. yeah
1: there's a whole list of deja vu experiences So, also with with the deja vu thing, it, the ones that you've had, Peter, personally, were you able to pinpoint them to say a, For me, I I can always pinpoint them to a dream that can be decades back. So and I, the, so I've never had an anomalous deja vu that I couldn't pinpoint to a dream. Is is. Have you been able to pinpoint the origin of your deja vu's?
2: Not so much. I mean, I I've gone into dreams, dreamscapes where I I would say, I I said this is familiar, mm-hmm. but it's no place I've ever been to, other than a dream state, as far as I know, not in this reality. So you you have certain areas of familiarity in dream states that are that are not not tied to the earthbound reality that I know, um, you know, you know, you, you, like every time I go to Montauk, it's, it's not so much deja vu, but it's like, oh God, this is like, it's like coming home because I've been there so many times. It's almost mm-hmm. like I've never lived there, but it's almost like someplace I've lived, like going back to an old neighborhood because I'm so familiar with it. Um, and, of course, there's other areas that, you know, I might be familiar with. But it's, uh, you know, I, I just really never identified deja vu as anything other than an experience. You know, I never really traced it back or done anything. I says, wow, I've been here before. But, okay, you just get over it. What
1: about if you apply that to, the, to people? Are there... You know that that you know you've had this and I think I think we all have this, but where there's clearly some sort of history here, and yet you're just now you know you you're crossing paths for seemingly the first time,
2: well, some people will be familiar mm-hmm. like uh you know one woman I once met and and I felt like I knew her, and, but I would know her in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, and she kind of felt the same way, you know, and, and I guess there was some sort of compatibility or affinity there for, you know, for a short time in our lives. But, uh, and, and, and sometimes you can, you know, you can pick up on somebody's energy just because of the way they are. And, and you can be comfortable or familiar with, you know.
0: It's very, very true. We got another question here from uh, Rain DeBlanc.
1: JJ, hey, JJ.
0: Do you ever see repeating number patterns? Or do you have a lot of number synchronicities, things like that?
2: My wife sees five, five, five all the time. Hmm. Five, five, five. Uh, even to the point where it's bugging her. I used to see eleven eleven all the time back in the nineties.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I found that other people were seeing it. That was before I was even around other people. It was before I got involved with Montauk, and, and then you know everybody was seeing eleven eleven. when
1: well, so, there was a harmonic convergence back then too.
2: And that was a, a few years after the harmonic convergence. So eleven eleven and. Uh, 1111 is basically uh, representative of, of DNA, hmm. the 22 strands. Or,
1: yes, yes.
2: Or, that's not what it is, but it, it, it's, a, it's a DNA number. Um, right. I it's got life. Go
0: ahead. No, I got one last one after this. It's it. <clears throat> what, what do you know about Montac, Chia, Montac, Chia, Montac,
1: Mantak
2: Chia.
0: And the microcosmic orbit and drawing energy from the stars.
2: Um, Mantak Chia, the name, I I once uh, went out of my way to meet him and do his workshop because I wanted to meet him because his name was Mantak. Mantak and Chia, he said, it means, Mantak, he said, means like bright light or virtue. And Chia, said, meant beast. Not Not in a negative sense.
0: Um, it gives a whole new meaning to chia pets, by the way.
2: Oh, uh, it's, it's a different meaning. It's a it's a homonym.
0: I know, I know. I was kidding.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, mantechia. Uh, I I had a doctor. Uh, she was a Chinese Filipino, actually, but she was Chinese. I uh, She was a great, very gifted doctor, and she told me she worked on mantechia. And, you know, and, you know, he'll say in his videos that he doesn't get sick. And she says, oh, he was very sick. She, and she said he was very, uh, she said he took all of his work from his wife. Mm. And I, I studied a tradition of Qigong that is very different. Um, the microcosmic orbit, where I've learned the microcosmic orbit, is, is within the body. The macrocosmic orbit is, is going around the whole earth. Um, Mm. I don't know. I don't know what he teaches. Um, I don't endorse what he teaches. Uh, The tradition I've learned is, is very different than what he teaches. So uh, I know that he's been very popular and whatnot, but, but, but that, uh, you know, he was very nice when I met him, and all that. And I, and I was just curious about his 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 name. And uh, but, but what I've learned is is different. So I'm not a a student of his, sure. And in fact, yeah. I don't, this is a long lecture, but anyway, go ahead.
0: No, I just want to thank uh, Nate for asking that question. Thanks for the answer. That's all I got, Nish.
1: That's yeah. This was this has been. Fantastic. Yes, absolutely.
0: Thank you. It's so nice to talk to you. Thank you for coming on the show.
2: Yeah, you know, it's nice to have a conversation and instead of me having to you know give a diatribe, which is usually what I have to do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's an unconventional podcast, to say the least. Right. But uh yeah, we like to keep it interesting and talk about things that other people don't really mention or talk about or go into detail about. So So thank you, Peter. Thank you, Nish. Thank you for
1: having me. What about, Jerry,
2: the plugging?
0: I was just going to ask him that. Do you have any uh, new work or anything you'd like to plug or talk about?
2: Well, sure. I have, uh, I'll mention my website, the Time Travel Education Center, which has uh, free videos that uh, will let you understand in very simple language the mathematics of uh, time travel, mathematics and physics. It's at an eighth grade level, and it's all you need. Uh, I also have a website, skybooksusa.com, where you can look at the books and buy them. You can buy them there. You can buy them on Amazon. My books are on uh, Kindle and the other um, ebook formats. So uh, the latest book, I've, I've released two books in January. One is Inside the Earth, the second tunnel, the fifth book in the Transylvania series by Radu Sinamar, which goes into the science of the inside the earth, what's inside the earth. It's not like people think. And with the adventures of Radu going into the inside the earth, he also just, as I said earlier, uh, released a new book to me in the Romanian language. I have to, It'll take me at least six months to translate it and publish it, uh, Forgotten Genesis. And I also did a silver anniversary edition of the Montauk Project, uh, which has the Patent for the time reactor in it and the explanation of the time reactor, which is a time machine of David Anderson. That's a uh, Montauk Project Silver Anniversary Edition available on Amazon. And that's, that's the latest. I'll be working on that, that, uh, that new Radu Cinemar book.
0: Great. That's funny. I'm looking forward to reading that. And I yes. have put links to all those books and websites that you mentioned in the show notes and description for anyone who's listening. Thank
2: you. Thank you both very much.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Peter. And thank you everyone for for being here tonight. And those who are listening in the future, we're thinking of you too. Uh, next week, we have Greg Newkirk of uh, Hellier fame. So that that should be an oh, interesting man. discussion.
1: Yes.
0: So thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you next week.